In this episode, we chat with Joe Marquez and learn about his meandering journey from science teacher to director of academic innovation at Q. You'll also learn about what's new for Q and the spring conference, and also how IT leaders can support teachers as they learn about new tools and strategies. Thank you, Jamie. We also get to meet Jamal Boyce from Linwood Unified School District and cohort 14 graduate from the site CTO mentorship program, who will be replacing me as I move on from my current role in K-12 IT. Welcome to Insight Podcast. In this episode, we have Joe Marquez, Director of Academic Innovation at Q. My name is Shane Pinnell, and co-moderating with me is Jamie Lusatter. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Shane. So it's December 2021. We're recording our 12th episode of the podcast. It's just amazing. I would say the pandemic's warped my understanding of time, but we've been making these for a year and a half now. It's hard to believe that that much time has gone by. Today, I'm looking forward to our chat with Joe, and we're going to begin by answering some questions and getting to know each other. Oh, and also bonus, we have Jamal Boyce joining us, and he is here as a, as a guest to learn he's, about the he's podcast. Dipped, dipping his toe into the podcast waters, yes. Yes. Hey, yes. Jamal, how you doing? Good. How are you guys doing today? Wonderful. All right, Joe. So thanks for joining us. We have an icebreaker. We're going to take turns answering these questions and we'll, of course, probably have a few chuckles. I've been re-listening to some of our earlier episodes and they're quite giggly at this part, part of the show. So it's really fun. And we'll also get to know each other a little better. So first question, peanut butter or chocolate? That's for you, no, I, I would I would go right to peanut butter because if I'm going to have something like that, it's got to be you know packed with protein. But I will tell the listeners if you're if you're looking at peanut butter, look for that PB fit. It's powdered peanut butter, all of the nutritional benefits, but none of the fat. It's fantastic. It is fantastic. You lost me at powdered peanut butter. <laughs> that just it's not it's no. I didn't. I don't need to know that that exists. Because my my answer to this question is yes, please, peanut butter and chocolate. Hey, go How ahead. about you, Jamal? Uh, I prefer chocolate with peanuts in it, but if it does have to be peanut butter, I just recently bought Reese's Pieces with pretzels, and I like a crunch in my. All right, mm-hmm. that's. I could go uh, chocolate with the pretzel with the peanut butter inside. <laughs> I could even do that. How about you, Jamie? Yeah, peanut butter is a, a staple. In my household, I have a brand that I found that's a dark roast with some crunch in it. Uh, so it's quite delicious. So wait, we have powdered peanut butter. We can also get a dark roast with mm-hmm. a crunch. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a Starbucks order now. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> fantastic. Okay, next up, Joe, would you rather, or do you prefer having auto updates turned on all your apps or, or having them turned off? So what do you do on your phone? I actually go in and I specifically select some that auto update and others uh-huh. that don't. Uh, but my wife always says that my phone is where apps go to get lost because I just have an app hoarder, um, you know, for years and years. So I, I mainly turn them off because if I don't go in to actually use them very often, there's no need to update them. What kind of phone do you use, Joe? I used to be a Galaxy guy, uh, okay. but uh, when Pixels came out, I transferred to the Pixel. So okay. I just updated to the Pixel 6 Pro, and I am loving it. Yeah, I've heard that's got a, an amazing camera on it. Yes. How about you, Jamal? Are you uh, auto on or off? Probably a hybrid, depending on what the apps are. But I'll just say auto at a scheduled time, typically the end of day, so it's not rebooting yeah. or, uh, while I'm using, like, using it. What about Shane, you, what about you? Oh, you first, Jamie. 
I have it turned off because I like reading all the notes. So I like to know I, some of them write such good snarky update notes mm-hmm. that are really enjoyable. So that's, that's one of my hobbies is reading, taking the time that people put into reading those and, and taking a look, I think is fun. So I know what, what has going to change and it's nice to have that. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way. I, I have it off because I feel like I need that level of control and I want to know what's going on. But then every time I, I run through a list of like 15 apps to update, I'm like, why am I doing this? This just should be automatically done. Like I'm not going to say no to it. So why don't I just right. let it happen? I know it's a funny thing. I've, I've never gone like, Oh, Nope. Don't want that update. <laughs> it's a weird control thing. I had a principal once she, with her staff, she did a Marie Kondo of their cell phones and had them kind of go through and put apps into folders. And, and then I got on this weird kick of like, I want to minimalize the amount of apps I have on my phone, but it's just so annoying when you, when you delete the ones you use infrequently and then you go to need it. <laughs> so I, I got over that quite quickly. <laughs> so I think Joe, with, I'm with you. I'm like an app hoarder at the moment. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a true issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Final question. Uh, would you prefer an in-person conference or a virtual conference? I, I am in person all the way, but there's a huge, huge but here. Um, you know, some teachers just aren't ready to go to in person and they need to have that modality of, of going virtually so that they're not left out. Uh, so I am a huge proponent now of hybrid. So anytime you can do a face-to-face with an optional streaming or at least a catalog of the recorded session so people can watch later, that's what I love the best. But I have to be around people. I love educators. I love hearing stories. I love the hallway chats. So that's what I've been missing the past 18 months. Yeah, I would have to concur on that as well. Uh, I can just compare the two site conferences. the previous one that was virtual, I don't know if I was checked in probably 10% of the time, the other amount of time I was doing work, but in person, you get to meet the people, engage, smile, cry, laugh, whatever. It just feels more genuine. I just, as people, I think we need that that sense of touch and just communication and face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, you know, if we're doing a traditional conference style, I definitely want to be in person. So I, I definitely get my energy from the people. I learn a lot from the people. You know, the hallway track is uh, the hallway and dinner time track are sometimes the best tracks to be to be at. But mm-hmm. I also agree, Joe, that that we need to have space for something else as well. Um, I, I and I don't want to I don't want to take a traditional conference and try to make it virtual. I want a new experience mm-hmm. that that is a virtual experience. And I think we probably want the same thing in our classrooms and and all over the place. I've been listening to this. Uh, I don't even know what you call it. It's, I, it's not a conference. It's not a podcast. It's it's officehours.global where these people get on and talk about um, video stuff, presenting and doing a lot of things remotely. And it's, it's kind of a new, it's kind of a new thing. And I'm, I'm kind of interested in it. There's, there's a lot of very good information sharing that's happening uh, between the people. They have a good relationship. So yeah, I think if I'm trying to do a traditional conference, I definitely want it in person, but there's definitely that space for something virtual, something new, um, some other option as well. And Shane, I'm going to just jump in there too, because I think when you say, if you replace the word conference with classroom, I think you're right on with that same talk track in that, you know, you know, that, that face-to-face classroom is extremely important, but there should be a space for another option for students who, you know, are, are always gone because of sports or because of special needs or what have you, there should always be that space for something else. Right. So um, I, I, I love your talk track of conferences and I think 
easily can be transported into the word classroom as well. Yeah. And, and we've proven to do it. Yep. Um, you know, I think mm-hmm. I think three years ago we would have said, no, there's no way we can pull stuff like that off. Well, the silver lining of, of a pandemic was that we proved that we could do a lot of things that we were probably way too scared to do before. So, yep. yeah, now we, now we have some opportunities and some options. Once we get past this, like, I don't want to do virtual stuff anymore at all, because uh, that's that's going to happen. Right. There's going to be some backlash mm-hmm. probably once we get mm-hmm. over that. And then I think, you know, it's time to start talking about how can we do things differently. What about you, Jamie? I've had some really good experiences with virtual conferences. So I thought, I thought I was content with that modality. I mean, I've always loved in-person, but I didn't love crowded experiences or, you know, sitting on the floor or having backup sessions because where you wanted to go was full. So having, having access to hop from session to session, you know, was great. Having access to the recordings was great. And then I went to the site conference and I'm like, oh my gosh, I miss this so much. Like people, it was, it was amazing. So I, I think, I think there's room, as you're saying, there's room for both. And if they're done well, they, they serve great purposes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the hard part. I think with virtual, especially is doing it well. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very easy to do virtual, not well. <laughs> well, again, if it's an exact replica, if you're just replacing and not innovating, yeah. then it's going to fall short. Yeah. But I, I agree. I agree hundred percent with what Jamal said about, um, one of the challenges for me with the virtual anything meeting, even virtual meetings is it's, it's too easy to also do other things and not be fully engaged and fully in the moment. So that's one of the nice things about going to a conference is, you don't. I mean, apart from pulling out your laptop and sitting in the hallway to get some work done, you're really engaged. And um, that that's something that's a little more difficult to pull off. So you really have to, you have to be mindful of that and set time aside for yourself if you're going to do a virtual Mm -hmm. conference. Well, Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you all so much. I think that that was a really rich opening with our either or. So thank you. All right, right, Joe, thank you for joining us today. Uh, We'd love to know about your background in educational technology and how you're spending your time these days. Also, what does it mean to be the director of academic innovation for Q? Yeah, you know, I love this question because whenever I tell the history of myself becoming an educator and getting involved in education technology, people are always kind of shocked. Um, you know, my, my, original, my original training was through biology and physiology, and I envisioned myself doing research, you know, for my career and out of college, that's what I was doing. And to me, it was just very boring. It just by yourself with pipettes and uh, extracting RNA and DNA from tomatoes. I just could not do it. Um, and so I, I got the bug of teaching when I was coaching for my old middle school. And the coaches were like, you're so good with these middle school, middle school students. You should like athletic coaching, athletic coach. Okay. Yeah. So I was okay. a football coach, a wrestling coach, a track coach. And they said, you're just so good with these kids. You connect with them. They like you. And so you're already on the steps of becoming a teacher. You should look into that. And so I did. I became a teacher. And in 2008, I became a science teacher uh, for my old middle school, um, Alta Sierra Intermediate School in Clovis. And I was anti-technology from the get-go, um, just because I, ca- I, I came around right when the iPhones were coming out, right when smartphones were coming out. And as we were talking about with, you know, it's so easy to get distracted in a virtual conference. It's so easy for students to get distracted when they have these devices. And I was fighting 
them so much to put them away. Listen to me. I'm your teacher. I'm trying to teach you. Listen. And it just wasn't where I even went so far as I bought a, a cell phone jammer from China and I would turn it on <laughs> in my classroom and it would just jam the 3G or 4G signal coming through. And the kids are like, how come I can't get on my phone? I'm like, you're getting on your phone. Like, oh no, no, I'm, I'm just asking. So, but I was fighting it for a year and a half, two years. And then I thought to myself, what can these phones do? They have these apps and there's all these new things coming out. Pole Everywhere was coming out. Nearpod was coming out. Uh, Socrative was coming out. I'm like, let me see if I can leverage the power of this miniature computer in their hands. And so I told the students, I said, you know what? We're going to try an experiment. I go, it's a science class. Let's do an experiment. Get out your phones. And the kids are like, wait a minute. Are we going to get out our phones? And then you're going to all write us up for having our phones. And I go, no, we're going to get at our phones. And you're going to go to this website, poll everywhere. We're going to test some things out. And so we just started testing apps out. I started realizing I don't have to wait for Monday to assess my students. I can assess them now. I can see if what I'm teaching is actually resonating with my students in the moment and, and rectify misinformation in the moment so they can leave my classroom on the right path. And so I, I, I started doing it more and more and more to the point that I'm like, this is great. Instead of fighting it, let's use it. And I started just going around to the classes and saying, hey, you should be using this and you should be doing that. I go to my PLCs and be like, look, we should be presenting with, you know, Nearpod or Pear Deck because we can get complete insights instead of just, you know, talking through a PowerPoint. And they're like, no, 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 this is the way we do this. And so it took me a long time to really get teachers to, to kind of come to the idea that educational technology is a great thing and not a distraction. If they're using the device for educational purposes, it's not a distraction. In fact, it prevents distraction because they're using the device they want to use, but for an educational purpose. Uh, and then the, the district saw what I was doing and asked if I wanted to uh, become an ed tech coach. It was a brand new, uh, a brand new position they were opening mm -hmm. up for all the different uh, high schools areas. And I said, absolutely. And slowly, but surely uh, started, you know, losing one period here, another period there and getting another tech period to the point where they're like, we need you to do this full time. I'm like, I can't miss out on my classrooms. I have to be around my students. I have to do something. And so at least I was, I was able to have an elective where I can do exploring technology, robotics, uh, coding, that kind of stuff. But then an opportunity came to me to, to, to be an education strategist for the West Coast of the United States and through a lot of discussions and, and talking to my family and coming to the realization of I can always come back. Yeah. I can always come back to a classroom. When was this opportunity to even spread the word farther going to come along? So I took that position. I did that for a couple of years. And then Q came a calling. Um, my, my, my mentor and buddy, John Carippo, was stepping out of his role of director of academic innovation for Q. I was uh, basically hounded to apply for this position. Uh, and, and after saying no multiple times, I said, okay, I'll go ahead and do it. I just didn't think that someone like myself could fill uh, these kinds of shoes. Um, but I, I put my application in and you know, ended up uh, getting offered the position. And I gladly took it because Q is one of the organizations that made me not feel like an outsider, made me not feel like what I was doing was crazy, uh, made me feel like I, what I was doing was important. And so here I am today. So it was just a, a long journey. Um, didn't ever expect to be here. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes you got to take the path less taken to be able to make the change that's worthy of being being made. So, yeah.
That's how are you? Uh, how are you spending your time these days? Like, what's a, what's a like project you're working on right now? Uh, so one of the projects we're working on for Q is to, is to really make sure individuals are understanding Q is not a, a conference organization, right? Q is just not spring Q or fall Q. Q is an organization that is around the entire year. And how can Q uh, leverage its membership and, and, and collaborate with its membership so that Q can be an, an organization that is making a difference 365 days a year, not just three days out of the month of March or three days out of the month of October. Uh, so we're, we're creating mentorship programs. Uh, we're doing outreach programs. Um, we're, we're doing programs where. Um, you know, like I was, I had trepidations about even applying for this position. There are educators out there that have trepidations of even applying to present. Uh, so right. going out and saying, you know, even though we have an opportunity that says, hey, this, the opportunity to present is open to everybody. It really, it, and to people's minds, it's there's, they say to themselves, well, not me, everybody. You're not talking to me. You're talking about like those, 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 you know, teachers that are doing this all over. Not me, everybody. And I want people to understand. Yes, you. Yeah. We're talking to you doing the amazing things in your classroom who other students can be benefited from your amazing skills and lessons. So yes, you. And so that's what we're really working on is creating uh, a true community of collaboration and innovation um, so that we can spread the word uh, that, that everybody is a computer using educator, not just those techie teachers. So you said computer using educators. You, you guys aren't actually an acronym anymore. You're just Q now, right? Correct. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, when, when Q was first started back in 1978, uh, I wasn't even born yet. But, right. uh, you know, you can imagine <laughs> you, you're just you're just having uh, tinkerers on Commodore's. Yeah fours or Apple IIEs, you know, what are you doing, you know, writing these little, little 8-bit programs and how are you using that in your comp one computer in your entire district or yeah. your, your campus? And, but now every teacher has a computer. Every teacher uh, has the opportunity to be able to use it. Not every classroom has a full one-to-one -one program, but every teacher has a computer. So every teacher is a computer using educator. So the acronym is gone. Q yeah. just means you, the educator, this is for you. This is an organization for you. Yeah, I, th I thought that was pretty interesting when Q made that made that transition. I thought it was, uh, it was a good transition for him to make for mm -hmm. sure. Absolutely. And it, op it opens the gates to, you know, not not just a subsect of educator, but it's all, all teachers. Educators. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Absolutely. I love sharing. <laughs> Jamal, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what brought you to the educational IT space. Uh, unlike Joe, I think I was probably born sometime when Q was started, depending on what time <laughs> in 78 it was, it was created. So I'm a Southern Cali, Cali boy, live in Inland Empire, that's Southeast California. Um, got my degree in computer engineering at Villanova University, go Wildcats. Was a network engineer or network administrator for the County of Riverside, the Auditor Controllers Department for 13 years. Got married in 2013, and my wife, she's from L.A. area, Inglewood, where SoFi and all that is at. So I made the decision to make the sacrifice to make the commute traveling to the county of Riverside while she worked in El Segundo. And that drive got tiresome after a couple <laughs> of years, so I tried to find closer work, and the opportunity opened up for the Linwood Unified School District. Uh, so I came on board as a senior network engineer, managing the techs, uh, and quickly matriculated to assistant director, then director of, of technology. 
Uh, I was exposed to um, my first site experience in 2017, where I first heard of the CTO mentoring program. Mm -hmm. And 2020, I was part of the cohort 14. So I actually got to go through the CTO mentoring program to get exposed to the variety of different lenses in the ad space, because it's more than just the, the tech support. It's also the instructional side. It's also the ed tech piece. So uh, the mentoring program helped me to be more well-rounded. And fortunately, I was able to represent our cohort in this past site conference and got to speak for about 15 minutes. And I thought that was actually beneficial. I got a lot of good uh, responses from that and encouragement. And I, and I encourage anybody who, who, who endeavors to be a, a manager or just even just have a broader feel of, uh, of the school district and just the different um, aspects just to take part in the mentoring program because yeah. I felt it was very beneficial for me and my growth. Absolutely. I think, uh, I think everybody here that's gone through that program would agree 100% uh, that, it, that it is very, uh, very mind-opening Yes, indeed. <laughs> what projects are you working on right now, Joel? Anything in particular or all the things in particular? <laughs> we are, as a result of the pandemic, we are one to one now, probably two to one. Uh, we have a lot of uh, devices. We've now deployed interactive panels in the classroom yeah. and now just getting teachers acclimated to that, how to utilize that technology to uh, engage their students. And like we were talking offline, just or just talking recently, just about the differences of virtual and in-person, just having the teachers have that ability to basically modify their setting just in case at any point we have to go virtual once again, or we're getting a lot of remote students because of yeah. student lingering issues with the pandemic. So you want to expand their ability and just provide support, uh, just upgrading our network capacity just for as internet connectivity. We're trying to reach our community because we serve a low income community uh, and there's still that digital divide as far as just ability to access internet and services. So we're trying our best to work with the city uh, and neighboring um, agencies just to provide those resources to the students so that they're not left behind at any point in time. Yes, it's all the things that are, are happening right now still. It's, it's uh, you know, so I was talking with somebody earlier today and uh, they were asking if things have slowed down a little bit. I was like, no, I think they've actually sped up recently. <laughs> I don't know how that's possible, but it sure does feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've all shared our experiences of how, you know, we've had positions that maybe changed or careers we thought were going one direction moved to another. I, I get questions from educators of how I got into the role that I have now. They're in the classroom, they're wanting something different, but they really see just two tracks for a teacher, it's educator or, or administrator. And Joe, you shared how you started using technology in your classroom and that led to getting noticed. I had the, I mean, we could be yeah. clones on that experience. The same exact <laughs> thing happened to me. So do you have advice for educators that are looking for something different or what have you noticed you know, throughout your career as a, as an educator, what opportunities are there for teachers if they're willing to look for them? Well, I would say just, you know, constantly be the best teacher that you absolutely can be. Um, one of the things I always tell teachers uh, is, you know, if you look back at yourself five years ago, 
you should be a drastically different educator than you were. And if you're the same, something is wrong. And, you know, I, I, it's even a conversation I had with one of my old high schoolist teachers uh, mm-hmm. because I became a tech coach for the same high school that I went to. And a lot of the same teachers were there. And um, yeah. I, would, I would go in there and I would show some things and, and just show how to engage. And, and she was like, Joe, listen, I do the same things that I did with you because they work. Look how well you turned out. And I said, yes, but I live in a, your, your current students live in a drastically different world than I did. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I had to pedal my bike down to blockbuster video to mm-hmm. see a movie and the kids just go on Netflix. They live in a drastically different world. So they should be learning in a drastically different classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I would, I would say to them all the time, I'm like, now, listen, you may have taught thousands of students in your career, but every year, those students who see you, that's the first time they see you and they deserve the best you you can possibly be, not the you who has been static for 10 years. Yeah, That is why you need to change. And so if you have that drive in your heart, that passion to change, that passion to make a difference, that's all that you need. You don't need to aspire to anything else. Just be the best teacher. And when you aspire to be the best, you end up getting noticed. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you just have to make a decision. Where does your heart lie? Mm-hmm. Um, does your heart lie with your students making a difference one period, one day, one month, one year at a time? Or do you want to step outside your comfort zone and change more students' lives by affecting teachers and inspiring teachers to change? And that's a very difficult decision to make. I tell you, every single day I miss the classroom. Every single day I miss the idea of changing a student's life and being able to see that drastic change from day one to end of 180 days of the school year. I miss that every day. My wife tells me every day, if you want to go back to the classroom, I support you hundred percent. Every day she says it because she knows I miss it, but I also love doing what I'm doing. So that's what I say. If you're looking to make a change, don't make a change because you think it's going to you know, you know, add clout to your, your name or to make you a ed tech superstar. If you're going to make a change, make a change because you know that change is going to make a difference. And if you know that in your heart, then, then make that decision. But if, again, if you're just doing it to, you know, add a, add a, a quill to your hat or a badge to your name, then I'd say definitely take a, a better look at yourself before you do make that change. Yeah. I wonder if it's a sense of job satisfaction and it's, it's a difficult time to be a teacher at this moment. I was just reading a New York times article about school districts uh, in the Midwest that are starting to institute virtual Fridays and they're putting that in place because teachers are just done. They're getting, they're getting faced with massive requests for resignation and they're just like, let's try something. And the parents are upset because childcare is there and there was very little notice given. So I like what you're saying, Joe, about evaluating where you are, find out what your passion is. I, I feel the same thing. I love teaching. I've decided I'm an educator. Even though I have the title of CTO, I'm a teacher and I teach in whatever platform I can find myself in. And so I found that I came to that realization as I did the work that I was doing that my heart was still with the kids, but I find ways to do that by having uh, student clubs and tech councils that have student members and things like that. So there are ways to have that outlet, but I love your, you have your point about kind of evaluating where you are, what you can offer and what your motivation is. I think that's great. Yeah. You know, I think that that translates um, to the non-teaching side as well. Um, Jamal, I don't, I don't know if you feel this way because uh, we kind of came up through the technical 
pathways. Uh, there, there's many days where I, I'm like, man, I just want to fix a problem right now. Like, I don't want to deal with these meetings. I don't want to deal with, uh, you know, all the things that happen. Like, I just want to jump onto a command line somewhere and go fix something or write a quick program to automate something. Right. That's um, I, I definitely miss that stuff, you know, um, but obviously in, enjoy the work that I do as well. Do you, do you feel that way at all, Jamal, about, about missing, missing that and, and wondering if, uh, if you went down the right track with management? Well, I I like the being in the position of management because I can make the decisions I yeah. think I would make when I was a tech or so mm-hmm. I try to be the manager that a tech would want me to be and right. I, and I think the pandemic actually forced our team to all even managers to go in the trenches because we didn't have enough resources right and you could actually see the work from the lens of the tech, like uh, Jamie was mentioned, being burnt out. You could see it even with mm-hmm. the, the, the teacher. You can, and when you're mm-hmm. interacting with the students, handing out devices and talking to them, you get a lens and perspective of everybody's angle. You have empathy for them. And I like yeah. what Joe stated uh, accurately. It's like, you shouldn't be thinking about yourself if you're in it. Like you should be trying to do your job to impact lives. And it shouldn't feel like a job, but like, yeah, you want to make a difference. And if, and if you're only about yourself, it's unfortunate. And I think uh, a lot of people are suffering still during these times, and we have to have compassion and empathy. And and that's what, what drives me to do my job. And like, so I'm fortunate to be in a position of management because I feel I can make an impact in this yeah. as well. So yeah, yeah. I don't I don't want to give up the control of the decision making power. It's just there's some days yeah. where I just I just want to work on something, get exactly. something done. <laughs> yeah, because meetings, like you say, are very tiresome going. Yeah one to the next. So I don't know if you, if you guys use Google calendar, but they have that new feature where they added called insights and it shows how yes. many hours of your week you're in meetings. I and just, I, I don't like that at all. <laughs> yeah. I like need to turn that thing off. It just depresses you. Yeah. It's a very sad number. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So Shane, what I do is I, uh, I make sure tickets are assigned to me. I get in there and, and just, you just got to have a win, even if it's mm-hmm. restarting somebody's computer, just something that, <laughs> something that got off the to-do list that, and you were helpful. Uh, it's that's great. Yes. Uh, so thank you everyone for sharing your path, your background. I love collecting these stories to share with students and educators, just really helping them see that success isn't a linear pathway and you really do control your definition of success. And I think that's so important. We have, we have a lot of outside influences saying this is successful or that is successful and, and kids really struggle. I think even educators struggle with what that means. So it's important, important that you share your stories to hear for, for our listeners to hear other options. So thank you for that. So next, I think we should take advantage of the obvious topic of having Q and site together on this show. I think we're, we're two, if I may say so, two powerhouse organizations. So uh, we both work to serve our members. And at times we, you know, how we have the labels of ed tech versus IT, or there's partnerships. And I think those worlds have really merged, yet each individually hold a, hold an important significance. I'd love to know your thoughts on how ed tech and IT have changed over time, why these partnerships are necessary, but I'm also intrigued by, you know, the benefits of them having some standalone time. So just any thoughts on just the history and the experiences of IT and ed tech over the last few years? You know, I would really love to hear the the IT side, you know, coinciding with the the ed tech side, because, you know, traditionally schools had or, or yeah, schools had a computer lab. Yeah. Right. And and teachers maybe had a, a desktop or a laptop. But for mm-hmm. the students, there was a computer lab and the teacher would go into the computer lab or maybe there was a computer teacher that would pull students out and going into the computer lab. So that was the 
gist of ed tech around that mm-hmm. time, right? But as, you know, I think it was back in like 2011 when Chromebooks came out and it, it looked feasible and, uh, price-wise to be able to put more devices in the hands of students daily. Um, mm-hmm. I know that had to have put a strain on IT, you know, I- increasing bandwidth and, and stability and, and, and logins and all these situations, right? But I saw that as a huge opportunity for students to get away from the idea that using technology in school is an event, right? Mm-hmm. And that was the big key shift for me is training students that, at using technology is not an event. They shouldn't be jumping up and down saying, yay, we get to use a computer today, right? They don't say that about a pencil. They don't say, yay, right. we get to use a pencil today. They don't. And so why should be using a computer be an exciting moment? Now, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. want to say using computers not exciting, but it should be like, yes, we get to make a difference using the computer to really change what we've done. Right. To really change the modalities of turning things in or creating things, um, uh, being able for students to be able to use their time and talents to be able to express themselves. That's the benefit of using that technology. And I think the big shift is getting teachers to understand that they are not, you know, that it's that term sage on the stage. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not I am going to tell you what you need to know. And then you're going to answer some questions so I can see if you have learned it. And more, it's like, here's our driving statement. Here are some articles or here are some resources. Let's figure it out together. And then you turn something in to show your growth in that particular uh, path, right? Because every student is going to be able to show you something in a different way. Uh, whether it's through voice or through audio or through drawings or through text, we should be able to give them those options. And if it's done every day, the excitement goes into what they're creating, not on the tool they're creating it with. And I think once we remove that block, and I truly think it's a block, when students see using the tool as the exciting part, they don't see that what they're creating is actually the exciting part. Um, and, and that's the shift in ed tech that I'm excited about, but mm-hmm. I know it's probably put a strain on it because now you got to refurbish the devices and make sure the devices are, are up to date and, and all these things. So I would absolutely love to hear the it side because I can only imagine from the two thousands to the 2020s, yeah. what has absolutely changed during that time. Yeah. So, so when I started in it in schools, we, there, teachers had a computer, but it existed to take attendance. It was not a teach. It was not a teaching tool. That's it was a business tool, right? It was for keeping track of which kids were here and how much money are we going to get for them. Uh, we did have some computer labs, but it, it, they were few and far between, and they were you know they were expensive. Um, and then yes, the the explosion of Chromebooks onto the scene of going one to one. The district I had worked in at the time were fairly early in adopting a one to one program. Uh, we had a uh, we had a teacher who came in to lead the IT department and work work with the IT department very closely. And just pushed really hard to get get the devices into the students' hands, um, for all the same reasons that you mentioned, Joe. Uh, and so it was it was uh, very trying. Uh, I remember many arguments around wi- like getting Wi-Fi rolled out and making sure that it works. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was a big challenge for us um, because we also had to make make sure things are safe and secure. Can't just can't just turn it all on and let everybody do anything they want, right? We have to be we have to be mindful of these are children and we have a, a duty of care uh, that that extends to to our IT departments as well. Um, but I don't I also 
so doing all that work, yes, it was hard, but you also can't be successful in doing that work if you don't work with the teachers and, and the students and the administration. IT does not exist for IT's sake. Nobody cares that the lights are blinking, right? It's, it's what you can do with the IT. And that's true no matter what industry you're in. I'm, I'm sure you saw that, Jamal. You know, you worked for the county of Riverside doing a particular job. You had to have some understanding of what that job was. Or if you work for a logistics company, say so you work for UPS, you probably have to understand logistics pretty well to be very successful uh, as an IT professional. And, and the same is true of education. You need to understand education and know that IT does not exist for IT's sake. It exists to, to facilitate teaching and learning in the classroom. Um, and so Jamal, I applaud you. You came out of private sector, or not private sector, it's still public sector, but you came from outside of, of education, jumped into an educational realm. And I think you probably just kind of taking off from what you stated, you probably realized like, oh man, I need to, I need to understand education a little bit better. And then yeah. you went and sought that out, right? Yeah, because I think I, I recall just going in my first ed services meeting and all the different acronyms they were stating. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what are they talking about right now? Yeah. How has this ELA and also like I didn't understand any of that. So it was it was good to learn that piece. And also even in the in the mentoring program, um, we learned about teachers, why they do lesson plans when they do it. And because there needs to be this communication, because sometimes we're in silos and like they want to implement a program or application that they see at Q or some other conference. And but they don't know the background of how do we support that, what requirements are needed to support that. And we don't know why they need it. We don't know what the purpose of it right. is. So there's always that that and I, I'm fortunate you learn from the, the mentoring program. And then as a manager, you try to explain it to your techs who may not have the ability to go to those different conferences mm -hmm. and sessions. But uh, as far as supporting, yeah, I think it was a learning curve we did we were we weren't one-to-one -one. and so when we would do assessments and testing we had to modify the scheduling because if we had right. too many devices on at one time the network was bogged down where <laughs> kids are just sitting there frustrated and then in our area just uh when it rains we have various outages <laughs> throughout the campuses so yeah always trying to uh support that and i think right now since we have so much technology uh, our um, superintendent just says technology should be the tool. You should always have your core fun fundamental processes, how you instruct, because what if the technology goes yeah. out? And I've noticed that now, like, oh, the, the panels don't work. How are we going to survive? What did you do before the panels? Yeah. And so it's just making sure they still have that core ability and that mindset that they can still interact and meet with the, the kids and and still be excited about that pencil if the, if the iPad pencil doesn't work. So, yeah, Joe, you know, I, I, in, while Jamal was, was speaking there, I thought of, you know, one of the challenges, you know, I think the technology that the tech has caught up to where schools needed to be. But I, I think one of the big challenges is staffing hasn't. Um, you know, we've, we've done a lot, even from, you know, rolling out Chromebooks originally, we added some staff. Uh, we, we were pretty successful there, but this, this pandemic response has been a challenge. You know, they've, they've thrown money at us to solve the pandemic challenge, but it's one-time money that you can't hire people with. So that's, that's really difficult. And that's going to be an ongoing, an ongoing challenge, especially for, if we're continuing to have hybrid classrooms and, and really leveraging the technology um, both on campus and off campus now, we're going to need some additional staffing uh, to, to pull that off. And, and staffing is just, it seems like staffing is always 
years behind need, um, unfortunately. Yeah, Staffing was- NPD, right? Um, yes. And 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 you know, the that's people. the people, the people, and yeah. you know, and that's why you know, sending teachers from the classroom to different conferences to kind of get different perspectives so that they can then bring that information back to the rest of the staff. That's why it's extremely important. You know, I always say teaching is a collaborative sport and if you're doing it alone, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You should be able to be, you should be able to disseminate information from one place drastically throughout your campus. But I will say this though. Um, sometimes when you do go to conferences, you kind of get an infomercial. Uh, and I don't mean they're trying to sell you something. What I mean is they show you the end result of probably years of trial and error, right? Mm-hmm. And I always tell teachers, are you looking at the Fushigi or are you looking at, you know, how you're ap- applying the tool for your classroom? And let me give you an example. There was this infomercial back in the 2000s for this thing called the Fushigi. It was a silver ball. And in the infomercial, it looked like it was levitating and going everywhere. And they would give it to somebody on the street and they were able to do it no problem. And so they sold tons of these. And there was a YouTube video of this little boy opening it up on Christmas morning. And he's looking at it and he's throwing it. It's not levitating. He's dropping it. It's just breaking. And he just Mm. throws it in the box. And he's like, it's not doing what it's supposed to. And he puts it away. I go, so how many times have teachers been given a Fushigi? How many times have they been shown at a staff development or a vendors come in and show this amazing tool? So the district buys it and they give it to the teacher and it can't do what was promised, not because it can't do it, but it takes years of training to get to that point. Yeah. And, they, and the teachers feel it's them. Oh, I just can't do it. I'm not going to do it. It's, it's me. And they put it back in the box and it's never used. Right. And then you may come in and be like, how come you're not using this? We bought everybody one, you know, they just couldn't get it. So how many times have we bought a Fushigi for our teachers, not giving them the training, giving them the time to actually get it to do the magic that it's been promised to do. Um, so I, I think sometimes we, we sell, we sell our teachers a little bit short on the truth of the time and effort it takes to get to a, a high level of use. But I always say, you know, Nobody ever said changing the world is going to be easy and being able to change your pedagogical approach in the classroom doesn't happen overnight. And I'll tell you, I couldn't tell you how many times that people come up to me after a training and they're like, good Lord, you know so much. How long did it take you to do all this stuff? I go 10 years and counting. I don't stop. I didn't, I mean, I don't expect you to, Um, I don't expect you to be able to use these things the way that I showed you. But if you can use it in a, in a way that, that benefits your students and, and, and creates more engaging and innovative ways of teaching and, and learning, then do it that way. Right? So we, we have to make sure that we find that, that middle ground of not over-promising, but still being able to give them tools that can make a difference in a short amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you were talking about conferences and, and going to conferences. I remember the um, first time I went to Q. Uh, it was very um, illuminating for me. Uh, you know, one of the things that it illuminated was like, oh, that's why, that's why teachers want to do all this crazy stuff because they went to Q in March. Um, so I, I just thought that was kind of interesting, but it was actually, it was really good for me to go. You know, I hadn't, I was, I was very technical, um, hadn't really stepped into the classroom a whole lot, but going to Q that first time, it, it, you know, just walking around with teachers, learning kind of what the perspective of this is from a te- from the teacher's perspective, from the teacher's lens. 
And then just even going to the vendor floor, you know, I'd been to site and gone to the vendor floor and talked to vendors. And it was very technical, but then going to Q, it was very about, um, about, about the ed tech more, more so about the ed tech. And I think that's actually transitioning now where Q is probably a little bit more about not so much the technology, but maybe about the, the pedagogy and, and how to actually, how to actually teach in the classroom, um, using technology, of course, you know, leveraging technology, uh, but not so much about the technology, more about the teaching now. Is that, is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you, you can't just, you know, try to sell your tool, right. And then say, this is how it could fit in your classroom. The approach, if you're going to sell something, the approach is, Hey, what are you doing in your classroom? What are some lessons that you've done? Oh, let me show you how this can help with those, with those lessons. I mean, because, you know, I've heard people say this before, but I say it all the time. You don't go into like Lowe's and buy a hammer and say, Ooh, what can I hit with this? Right. You have an idea of what you would like to do. And you go in and you look at the tools that can make that transformative shift in your house or what you're trying to build. Um, And that's what teachers are doing on the vendor floor. So you're not going to have the vendors just saying, hey, come and look what our panel can do. No, it's like, okay, this is what I want to do. These are the things I want to do. And the teachers are going to go around looking for tools that can possibly meet those needs. And if the vendors don't know how to talk that talk, yeah. They're not going to be able to show how showcase how something's going to work. Um, you know, at the, at the site conference, it's great. You know, they show look what look at all these things this device can do, right? Um, but at the at the at the Q conference, they have to be able to actually talk uh, how it how it um, can can be fit into the to lessons being taught in the classroom. So you're absolutely right, Shane. That shift absolutely is being made uh, at Q, not only in the vendor hall but also in the sessions. Uh, we all we, yes. we encourage all of our our uh, submitters lead with pedagogy first. Don't don't put in a session that says you know flipping for Flipgrid or uh, <laughs> nearly a Nearpod hero or something. Right? It's you know it's saying you know a student agency with with video. Right? Yes. What are you trying to do? Mm-hmm. That's what the title should be. That's what the agency should be. It shouldn't be about the tool. It should be about the the uh, the pedagogical approach, the shift you're trying to make. And then in the description, you can talk a little bit about the tools that you're going to use to get there, but never lead with the tool. That's what we really yeah. encourage our submitters to do now is lead with yeah. pedagogy. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I just looking back to the last, I think the last few times that I went to Q, um, what I found coming from the IT department, what I found to be the most successful thing for me was just, just find a buddy teacher, you know, someone from my district, I would just follow them like, Hey, what's your next session that you're going to? So I didn't really make a plan. I followed their plan and just sat in with, you know, in, in asking them questions uh, about, you know, why did you pick this one? What problem are you trying to solve? Why did this interest you? And then really learning, learning about the session, obviously, but then also learning from the teacher about why it was important to them. I think that was actually more impactful for me is, is learning from the teacher about why it was important to them than necessarily what was in the session. Um, but I, I highly recommend that if you're going to queue as a, as an IT professional, um, find a teachers, you know, find a few teachers and, and walk around with them and, and really um, experience Q through their lens. I think that would be very beneficial for, for most people. I think that really highlights back to our opening question, you know, this major shift that's happened in the IT and ed tech um, leadership spaces is the tech team is now responsible for instruction on, on a lot of levels, because as you mentioned earlier, Joe, some teachers are like, well, I can't teach and Jamal as well. I can't teach unless this thing is working. Um, but we have a duty to help remind them that the educational tenants, those core pieces are the most important in the absence of tech. What are you still able to do, uh, having those backup plans, but, but at the end of the day, like if it, if internet's down or things aren't working, 
it pretty much does bring a district to a standstill. So there's a uh-huh. whole different set of pressures that exist, yeah. I think, on the IT team now. And not only is it just instructional stoppages that could happen, but we've got the cybersecurity worries and those other pieces of you know, hardware failure on a bigger level that those pressures exist. So um, I kind of reflect back on how just in the nine years I've had this position that it's become more of a pressure cooker. Like yeah. every day, you know, we've got to make sure we've got this uptime and, and keep those partnerships really strong, like really partnering with the ed tech team or the ed services team to know their objectives, their goals and, and stay, stay aligned there. So I think, I think over time goals have shifted the, the amount of um, kind of connections and ways we integrate have shifted to just be really more in sync. So we're all, you know, moving on the same pathway forward for the, for the students. Absolutely. And Jamie, I think, I I think that movement, you know, Mm -hmm. is happening very quickly between it and ed tech, but I think bringing down those walls, bringing down those silos Mm -hmm. in all departments is absolutely key. I mean, if you don't bring curriculum and instruction into the mix, then curriculum and instruction who is, who is driving, you know, what's going to be taught if they don't know the tools that the teachers are using becomes it, it just doesn't work. And then, mm-hmm. and then if, or if curriculum instruction is recommending certain tools that the teachers aren't actually using, then, then you get that disconnect. So I, I think that that's the, that's the ultimate trifecta really in a district is to have mm-hmm. IT curriculum and instruction and ed tech all in sync with one another. Cause that will really make a district hum. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you missed in your trifecta, a couple others though. You need uh, business <laughs> services, you need facilities, you need maintenance. You're, you really do uh, because of the same things you, you have to build those relationships with all of them. Cause you know, you don't want them to build a building that doesn't meet your IT needs to then meet your instructional needs. Mm-hmm. So you have to, you have to build those relationships everywhere. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, and I can just say from my growth, my biggest growth as a manager, cause I was accustomed to managing tech, but I learned a lot from our digital coaches, our ed tech, mm-hmm. just how they bridge the gap between us and the instructional piece and hearing them from their point of view, like Shane was mentioning, just right along with the teacher at these conferences, what are they interested mm-hmm. in? So they were sharing a lot with me and they actually recommended that I attend Q. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend because of uh, when it went to virtual, but like I, I can see we need to do, like uh, Joe mentioned, just break those silos because we all would grow and it would benefit just from hearing the other perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, on that same thread, if you do partner with the teachers and, and get to a Q conference, you can help explain some of your decision-making of, yeah, why you have to say no to a certain tool or right. why you can say yes and, and what that thought process is. So working together on that, um, helping kind of just pull back the curtain a little bit on the thinking. That that leads me to think about the privacy piece that we're all concerned mm-hmm. with as tech leaders wow. and helping teachers understand like, no, you just can't sign up for that and <laughs> put all your kids' data in there birth dates and ID numbers, you know, let's, let's have a conversation. And I think that's where we can do a little bit better. Um, if not just kind of shutting things down, but explaining the why. Yes. Yeah. Not no, but, uh, it's, it's no, but, or it's, it's yes. And this is how we're, we're going to pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thanks everyone for sharing your insight on that. I think it is so fascinating to think back on our history and our personal experiences and get those affirmations of like, Oh yeah, you're going through that too. That, you know, that, that's, that happened in my world and, and to kind of sync all that up. Uh, Joe, before we move on to our final segment and, and offer a call to action to our listeners, what's new with Q right now? What else is Q offering? 
educators. You mentioned earlier a little bit about a mentorship program, changes in kind of submission expectations. What else can you share? Yeah, you know, if I can mentorship project a little bit more, it's the idea is, you know, going back to what we we're saying about Q is it's for all educators, right? And uh, we want to make sure every educator uh, has the ability to present at a Q conference. And so part of the mentorship uh, program is to get those teachers who may be on the fence about submitting or maybe on the fence about presenting and connecting them with some veteran Q members, veteran presenters to kind of uh, show them and encourage them why their voice matters, why they should be sharing. And then also some tips on presenting, on stage fright, on, you know, I, I always say if you're teaching in front of 35 students, you know, every period, every day, those students are are very truthful about what they think of <laughs> you, right? So I think it's easier to present towards adults than, than students. And so everybody's a presenter, right? Uh, but sometimes getting in front of your peers can be a little bit, a little bit daunting. So having a little bit of encouragement and some, uh, some training and some prepping, I think is very important. But the mentorship goes beyond that because part of the connecting is also, why do you want to be a part of the mentorship program? And what are your aspirations? Are you looking to be an administrator? Are you looking to get into IT? Are you looking to do a coordinator position or an ed tech position? And what I try to do is I try to connect the mentee uh, to a mentor in that kind of position. And when I, when I connect the two, I tell the mentor, uh, this individual is looking to become an ed tech coach. And since you're an ed tech coach in your district, I would also love for you to help mentor them into that kind of position and, and things like that. Um, right. Um, and we also have a lot of, of, of great administrators as Q members um, mm -hmm. and then a lot of, of, of IT members as Q members. But I know Site um, is a great organization as well that has that mentorship as well. So I would, I, I, being, being able to find, identify those members who are both members of site and Q and those members who want to go that route, you know, it's just been great to be able to connect educators to educators that, you know, are in a role that they aspire to be at. So that's one of the things we're absolutely trying to do at Q. Um, again, because when we do that call for presenters, you know, we can rest on our laurels and say, Hey, we opened it for everybody, right? We can't go knock on everybody's door and say, hey, you should present, but we have to do more yeah. than just say, hey, it's open to everybody. Because a lot of teachers would say, not me, everybody, right? Yeah. Um, and so we have to be able to, to have that agency and that empathy for teachers who may be on the fence or may not think we're speaking to them. Um, that's the only way that uh, Q is going to grow out of the idea that they're a, a niche organization. Uh, just for ed tech people and, and, and grow into the organization that all educators can grow and love just like I did when I first discovered Q. Yeah. I really, I really like that providing pathways for people to get to where they want to go. Um, which, uh, you know, we talked about in our, uh, what well, maybe you don't know, Joe, but we had talked about this in our CTO uh, mentor podcast that we had uh, where site is, is opening up some, well, working on opening up some opportunities for um, IT professionals that are in kind of their mid career and, and maybe even in their early career to have that same kind of pathway to help uh, so site can help them get where they want to go in their careers. It's a, it's a fantastic opportunity because if you're just left to your, on your own, you don't really know where to go. Um, and you can definitely, everybody can use a little help on figuring out how to get where they want to go. Mm -hmm. oh, absolutely. And, and, and Shane, speaking of, you know, help on where they want to go, you know, kind of uh, speaking to our past conversation about IT and ed tech kind of coming together, um, you know, some districts need help with that. 
right? Yeah. And and Q and Sight have a uh, a program together called the Jet Review, mm. uh, which is the joint EdTech IT review, where uh, members of Sight, CTOs and tech tech directors from Sight and uh, EdTech coaches and directors of EdTech from Q, they will go to a school site. And they will do a comprehensive review of the IT side and the ed tech side to see the cohesion or lack of cohesion and, and then make recommendations of, of changes that can be made to ensure that all the work that the IT is doing is actually trickling down right. to the classroom in the way that they are envisioning. And then also for the teachers to be able to say, hey, you know, you say the Wi-Fi is working great. But in the classroom, we're getting dropped all the time. That's why we don't use it. So to open that communication as well. Um, and so I know that that program has been ramping up uh, in October, November and December, and it'll be opening up to more schools in January. So I wanted to mention that because yeah, it's been a great experience and a great program for a lot of schools this past year. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I think uh, we'll probably have to add some information in our show notes about that because I'm sure that will will pique the interest of many of our any, many of our listeners about how to how to access that service. That's a, that's a great tool. Yes. All right. So speaking of call to action, we're ready to move into our final segment. And this is a section where we really want to try to offer ways for our listeners to get involved. So Joe, let's start with Spring Q. What can people expect and how can they get involved? Yeah, Spring Q, March 17th to 19th in Palm Springs is in person. Jamal, hooray. Like, yes, hooray, hooray. <laughs> Jamal, like you said, back in 2020, you were going to go and then it went to virtual, um, you know, it, it, and then the, the question at the very beginning, right, is would you rather be face-to-face or virtual? Again, mm-hmm. I mean, God, they both have their place, but face-to-face for Q is so important, mm-hmm. that connection. And, and for Spring Q, the whole theme is celebrating educators, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, yeah, and to us, educators are Every single person who works to better our students in any way, shape, or form. So we're talking about teachers. We're talking about support staff. We're talking about IT. We're talking about administrators. All of those are educators, even parents, Yeah. right? Because during the pandemic, parents had to become the co-teacher in the classroom. And so we always encourage parents, if they're homeschooling their students, parents to come to Q and and see all the different technologies that they can utilize for free. A lot of these tools are free uh, in their homeschooling as as well. So we're celebrating educators. And uh, what we're trying to do is bring the sessions for the moment, right? Uh, We're trying to make sure that we are showcasing all the hard work that teachers have been doing in the classroom and what they are doing to ensure everything that they've done doesn't atrophy to make sure all the things their fellow teachers have learned doesn't atrophy. We want to make sure that they continue to grow and not boomerang back to the way they were before, right? Um, A lot of people say the new normal, but I really, I really, mean your growth. It's not really the new normal. We want you to continue with your growth. Um, yeah. And that's what this conference is truly going to, to try to est- extract from its its attendees. Um, and then also, uh, as you've been saying, and encourage educators who, you know, quite frankly, who have assumed the queue is not meant for them. 
or was was not created for them to ensure that every educator knows that Q is for you. And we welcome you with open arms. We welcome you um, with a, a loving embrace and, a, and a, well, if you don't want a warm hug, we understand at the moment, but with, 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 a, with a warm hug and, and saying, we understand how difficult it has been these past 18 months. Um, and we are here uh, to collaborate with you and, and be there for you every single step of the way beyond this conference. Um, and so I would say that's, that's what's happening at, at spring Q and it, and, and, you know, uh, going on excitement of what the site conference brought of mm -hmm. an, of, of what an in-person conference can look like and what it means to be around people. Again, we are super excited that the, the conference is going to be in person and that the excitement from educators is enormous right now. In fact, we're like running out of hotel rooms because of it, but we're excited about it because that means everybody's ready to get back mm -hmm. to the thick of things. So that's what I would say to expect a spring queue, a great place of learning, but also mm -hmm. a great place of reconnecting as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I'd love to share just a few pro tips that I have. Maybe Joe, you can add on to of how to make the mess, the best of your experience at Q. When I would bring um, some of my teammates, I got to go as a teacher and then as a tech leader, we would do a shared Google doc and we would all take notes together and then we could have kind of this back channel. So that was always great. And then after conference, we would schedule time with any teachers that went, like give them a half day sub and debrief together. I think that was really important, kind of get a little bit of time and distance from conference because you're so excited and then you come right back and you're in the thick of teaching, but making time to review your notes, see what you want to integrate. And um, so having that debrief time, I thought was really good. Do you have any other tips you'd offer teams that are going? Yeah, I, I, divide and conquer is is absolutely mm -hmm. key, right? Uh, and and then also, you know, making sure that the back channel that you're util utilizing uh, is something you're you're used to <laughs> as mm -hmm. well. Not just have one of your techie people go, oh, let's use this, right? Like if you're using Padlet, you know, for training in your classroom and things, why not use Padlet as your back channel? Mm -hmm. kind of, so that's what I'd recommend. Um, but but also, um, go to sessions that are outside your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Go to sessions, you know, if you're, uh, you know, if you're a science te teacher by trade, go into an ELA session because reading and annotating and taking notes and all those things are important in every class. And so you can up your skills by going to a, a, a session that you may not, you know, traditionally go to. Um, I would highly recommend that. Um, and then uh, talk in between sessions with as many educators as possible um, so that you can glean how they're using these tools because no tool can be used in one particular way. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm true. I'm truly in, in belief of the Alton Brown method of technology, right? Alton Brown is that food network guy that says never buy a, a kitchen device that is only used for one thing. You uh -huh. buy a kitchen device that can be used for multiple, multiple things. And I, I, I believe the same thing about classroom technology. If it's a one hit wonder, maybe we shouldn't be purchasing that or using it. Let's find something that can be used in multiple ways yeah. to get the maximum benefit out of it. So those are some of my tips that I would highly recommend. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, my tip of, of kind of following a teacher, if you're an IT person, right. Following a teacher or multiple teachers around, I think that's, that worked out really well, really well for me. And I know somebody had mentioned it earlier. Um, 
Q is a very busy conference and you may want to go into a particular session, but you will find a line out the door. So have, have backup sessions and, uh, you know, divide and conquer works really well. Don't, don't have, don't try to have 10 of people from your district go to the same session because they <laughs> might be standing outside of that session and not have any place to go. So really break it up and, and find things, um, that, that you can use as a backup plan that works really well. Um, so Joe, I'd, I'd like to know if you have any thoughts on how kind of an IT like CTO or director can support teachers while they're at Q. if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah. So if, if you're talking about, um, while they're at Q, yeah. um, I, I would definitely say, um, that, you know, the, the best thing to do is go with them. Right. Um, uh, my favorite thing that I, that, that ever happened. Uh, when we went as a, a group with my school is that our director of technology um, took us all out to dinner one night and we debriefed and we, we mm -hmm. talked not only about what we learned, but how we hoped it would change our mm -hmm. district and how we hoped, because if you wait, sometimes the excitement fades mm -hmm. um, yep. and then, and then you go back and then your director has meetings and they can't meet or they let you guys meet, but you don't. And so being able to have that, it really can creates that connection. It really does because sometimes there is, it feels like there's a disconnect between the coaches and then the directors. And by being able to, to have that, that time together, to me, that was probably the most eye-opening thing. I never saw my tech director like that before. Uh, just, you know, having fun. So I would highly recommend that. Um, if it's before the conference, this is what I highly recommend um, because I'm hearing it all across the board about um, a lot of administrators just blanket saying, well, we can't send you to Q. We don't have, we don't have the, uh, the funds or we don't have the subs. Right. Um, but so it can go a long way if the director of technology or the chief technology officer can send an email out to those administrators and say, Hey, look, yeah. understandable that your knee jerk reaction would be, you know what, we can't send you this year, but it's very, it's a very important conference to upskill our coaches. It's a very important conference to ensure that the learning that happened during the pandemic for the teachers isn't lost uh, mm -hmm. along the way. And we have to have agency now to ensure that we continue to grow and not remain still or go backwards. And this is a conference to ensure that growth can happen. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I would say that's a huge win if we can get CTOs and directors of IT or directors of technology to send those little emails out to encourage administrators to find a way to make that happen. Yeah, I'm just taking a lot of notes now. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, here's a couple other notes, actually. So a couple of years when we went to Q as a district, we all had the same shirt on, which was, I, I you know, initially when I heard about it, I'm like, well, okay, that's, that's kind of cool. We're all wearing your same shirt. But when we were mm -hmm. there, it made it very easy for me to find colleagues in the hallway and to go find that person to attach myself to for that next session. It worked really well. And, and, you know, teachers from different schools were able to, you know, easily congregate and find each other and do that hallway debrief um, and, and make those connections. And then the other thing was building your PLN, right? So it, when you do find somebody, you do, you do talk to them, get their information, find them on Twitter, however you want to connect with them, however you build your PLN, do that there because you'll forget to do it later. Uh, so make sure that you're making those connections and, and, and you're able to continue those connections uh, post-Q. And I would add for our IT leaders, 
invite somebody to present with you. That's what happened to me. My first cue, my director said, Hey, let's go talk about this tool that you're using in your class. I think other people should know about it. And I would have never done that on my own. So Joe, when you talked about earlier, getting more teacher voices, I think the IT teams and tech leaders can help with that because teachers feel an imposter syndrome. Like we're, we don't have enough to share. Our voice isn't you know, our, if our co-teachers, people around us aren't liking what we're selling, why would I go take this to Q? And we often hear from some of the, you know, kind of Q rock stars that it's not always well-received in their district for whatever reason. But when you go to Q, you can really make an impact. And so I would say, notice somebody who's doing something great, tell them they should be a presenter, or if they're, you know, worrying about that, co-present with them. And that's how you can get more involved. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I want to say thank you to our guest, Joe Marquez from Q, Jamal Boyce for joining us. We want to um, end our show with a little bit of gratitudes and shout outs for Joe. You have so many podcasts, so I would encourage our listeners <laughs> to listen to all of the adventures he's sharing about EdTech and, and interesting things, both with Q and in his personal work. I want to say thank you to my co-host, Shane. Shout out to our site staff, Laurel Nava, Tuda Bentatu, Andrea Bennett for all their support. And then Joe will wrap up with you getting a little bit of airtime and then we'll close with our would you rather question. So Joe, anybody that you want to say thank you to, any gratitudes, any appreciations? Yeah, first I want to say thank you to all my past students uh, because it was them that drove me to be better every single day. And without their passion, without their questioning what I was doing without their truthful, truthful assessment of how I was as a teacher, I could not have grown every single year and, and, and become the educator that I am today. So I want to first and foremost, thank them. Um, I want to thank the first learning director I had that ever encouraged me to present. Uh, Jamie, just like you said, I would never have presented um, if my first learning director did not say, I love what you're doing. You need to present and I'm going to get you to present no matter what. Uh, so I want to thank her. Um, I want to thank John Carippo, um, former CTO of, of Q, uh, great ed tech uh, leader and just a great guy uh, for always encouraging me and telling me that I am not the weird one. Um, and, and, and if I am weird, be proud of it. So I want to thank him. I want to thank the uh, current executive director of Q, Mike Bolmert, uh, for continuing to uh, to push me and to continue making Q a more inclusive and diverse organization. Um, and then lastly, of course, I want to thank my wife um, for putting up with uh, lots of conferences, lots of traveling, uh, and then uh, just lots of conversations at conferences with her nearby, with her having no idea what I'm talking about. So I want to thank her very much as well. Awesome. Um, so Jamal, thank you for being here today too uh, and contributing to the podcast. Do you have anything that you want to share? Uh, no, I just appreciate thanks for having me as well. And I just want to give a shout out to my staff who makes me look good. They put in long hours and I know sometimes they don't get appreciated because they're not acknowledged as much, but I just want to yeah. just applaud them just for being there and, and trekking it through, uh, going through the difficulty with their own health concerns and family yep. and as well. So and just pushing through. So I just want to acknowledge the Linwood team for that. Awesome. Shout out to Linwood. Yeah. <laughs> So we have one final question for everyone. Would you rather change the way humans are fueled so that we just need one smoothie a day or change the way transportation is fueled? Energy would come from composting or other natural slash renewable sources. Joe, what's your take? Oh, that's an easy one. I, I would say I, I would change the way transportation is fueled, um, not just because of how it would help the environment and all those things, but because I love food. 
I love cooking <laughs> and I could not deal with just drinking a smoothie each and every day. I have to be able to, to smoke meat. I have to be able to make my own pasta. Uh, I have to be able to dig through my grandmother's uh, uh, ingredients for tamales, for birria, for menudo. And I, I, and I need to cook all that. I don't care how much lard is in it. So um, I would definitely say the transportation because I cannot get rid of that fantastic food that I love to make for my family. Absolutely. How about you, Jamal? I concur with Joe. Uh, I I love food so much. And it's the same thing with mothers cooking, whether it's peach cobbler, gumbo. You just like the taste. Like I don't want it just to be a process, just inject something and you're done. And, <laughs> and it, it also provides opportunity to sit down and talk with friends yeah. and families. So I, I enjoy food and yeah, so it would benefit in, as far as transportation for sure. Jamie, what about you? I, my gut reaction was transportation, but then thinking about the impact of the food industry on the planet too, it was, it was tough. I was right there with this is, I'm all about food. Uh, but now, now I'm kind of wavering a little bit. Imagine, imagine how much the world could change if that wasn't such a pressure. And then imagine how everybody in the world could be fed. We yes. could, we could end world hunger. Yeah. So I, as, as much as I agree with, uh, I, I enjoy food greatly. I'm going to assume that just cause I can have a smoothie <laughs> that, that would, that would fill all of my, my dietary <laughs> needs. I can still have that smoked brisket. I can still have that tamale. I can still have the, still have the gumbo. I'm going to go with, uh, the way humans are feel because there are a lot of humans and they all need to eat. And it's going to be a increasing challenge for us to meet that need. Yes, that's good. Thank you everyone for joining our show.